This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. You know, they have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Gate Park in the past. Everybody remember where we parked. Because it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, one and all, and welcome to Trek Geeks. We are very excited to have you here. Very excited to talk about Star Trek again this week. Uh, it's just something we love, and we are so grateful that you share a little bit of your day with us to, to hear us blather on. And by we, I do mean my co-host and I. He is someone who, without hesitation... I would put in a tank constructed of transparent aluminum and then fill it with water um, with really no room for air. He is the largely submersible Dan Davidson. And Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. I'm very excited to talk about today's topic. I don't float. (laughs) (laughs) I got nothing. That's what I'm counting on. Okay, thank you. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for that uh, wonderful introduction. It's nice to know that you're plotting murder, but I, I, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. And uh, I always enjoy sitting down with you and talking Star Trek and, and having all our listeners chime in about uh, the discussion. And, and I'm very excited about this week's discussion, uh, Bill, episode 180 here on the Trek Geeks podcast. Uh, we're going to deep dive into... One of the movies that we, I think, really both love. Uh, it's, I think a lot of people rank it right up there as one of the top, and it is the one with the whales. That's all we need to say. That's what that's what people. I just realized I didn't introduce myself. I'm Bill Smith, by oh, the way. Hi. He's Dan Davidson. I'm Bill Smith, and we're going to talk about the one with the whales. <laughs> Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. For the longest time, it was the most successful mm-hmm. of all of the Star Trek movies, largely because it appeals to such a wide audience, and. Is it any wonder? I mean, it's it's a wonderfully brilliant, lighthearted movie that still speaks to the heart of Star Trek. Absolutely. It's got a strong meaning to it. And I think the whole idea of the time travel back to the time that the movie came out in the in the 80s um, really um, made it popular. There's a lot of humor in there. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of love in this movie as well. Uh, and it just kind of it kind of goes on all cylinders throughout the entire movie. So uh, I'm glad we're finally talking about it. It seems that whenever we deep dive into an episode uh, or a movie, it's like, oh gosh, I'm glad we really are finally talking about this. But I really am glad we're talking about this one because I've always loved Star Trek Four. You know, adjusted for inflation, it is essentially the number three 
Star Trek movie of all time. Hmm. Um, behind Star Trek 2009 and believe it or not, Star Trek the motion picture, according to box office mojo. Where's Nemesis? Um, Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Deadline. Oh, this is a shocker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> Dan, in the meantime, how might folks let us know about their favorite places to view whales? Well, um, you just got to walk down to the water. But um, there's other also great ways to get in touch with us. Um, and you can head right over to trekgeeks.com slash contact. And there you will find a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can sing some whale song. Uh, you can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message. Or you can click on that big blue button on the right-hand side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous voice using SpeakPipe. And hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,400 other friends to talk all things Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you're going to find them. You're going to hear them first right on Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. So to join the group, just head on over to Facebook.com. To, let's rewind that. Ready? To join the group, just head over to Facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, thank you to our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan for the amazing job that they do running the camp. Also, Bill, please remember that any comments or messages you leave in any of these places may be used in a future episode. That's my whale song. That's what talking to you sounds like normally every day. <laughs> very nice, very nice. <laughs> Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. Are you still saying Dan? No, not that time. It's hard to tell. It's It's hard to tell. It's so popular. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's not it at all. Because uh, I imagine if you were, you were actually talking about Dan Garcia and not you. No, that would be Daniel. We just no, a distinction on the Trek Geeks podcast. That's me. I'm Dan. And he, Daniel. He's, he's a Dan worth singing about. Anyway, Dan, first up, as we mentioned last week, the official Star Trek original series set tour was on the verge of a special announcement. One that I got wrong. That's nah, all right. It happens. Well, it's kind of like a prediction on Discovering Trek. It's really kind of a moving target. Um, But that announcement, nevertheless, was huge. And as a result of that announcement, we have one of our own, don't we, Monty? Yeah, we sure do, man. The set tour announced last week that their 2019 event will be held on August 23rd and 24th. And special guests will include Terry Farrell, Robin Curtis, and Mr. Ethan Peck. 
Huge news for Discovery's Mr. Spock to be on the TOS bridge later this summer. And, you know, it's going to be such a big event that we are very happy to announce that your Trek geeks, Bill and I, will be heading up to Ticonderoga that weekend to finally see the sets and see the special folks up there. Uh, We're currently talking with the folks at the tour about the possibility of podcasting from the event. And Bill and I will actually be hosting our very own special panel. So stay tuned for more info on that. All in all, it's going to be a pretty exciting weekend, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it, buddy. What about you? It's a uh, it, it's amazing. I mean, you know, Ticonderoga, New York, is really not all that far away from us. It's it's under four mm-hmm. hours. Um, it, it's a bit of a drive, um, but it, it's going to be worth it. There's going to be so many great Star Trek fans there. Plus, I mean, you got Terry Farrell. She's going to be posing in her Jadzia Dax in her TOS red on the bridge of the enterprise. That's pretty cool. I mean, and then Ethan Peck, I mean, I'm just looking forward to seeing him in that environment and seeing how the fans interact with him. We'll have seen him hopefully just a few weeks before at STLV. I don't believe he's been announced for that yet, but um, I, I can't wait. I can only hope he is. And if not, then we'll meet him for the first time up in Ticonderoga. It is going to be a fantastic weekend. And I'm sure we're not done talking about um, Tyco- Trekonderoga, which is the name of the con. Um, uh, for quite some time because there's going to be other things we discuss in the coming weeks. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we got a lot of things planned. Um, we're going to be, oh, I don't know, maybe having special announcement giveaway. Maybe I'm just throwing it yeah. out there. Um, so yeah. yeah, so stay tuned. Uh, in the coming weeks, we'll have some special stuff to talk about Trekonderoga. And like you said, it's three and a half hour drive for us. I'm really looking forward to getting up there. It's been it's uh, it's time. Yeah. It is time, and and this is a great way to do it. And this is actually one of the few times that Trekonderoga hasn't been like the weekend right after STV, right. Um, which is really hard for us to get away from having just been out of state for the entire previous mm-hmm. weekend. So uh, it's going to be a great time, and uh, just keep your eyes and ears peeled because uh, Trek Geeks could be giving away a couple of general admission tickets in the future, just saying. Hey, Say what? Also, Dan, uh, recently you and I saw the DS9 documentary, What We Left Behind, a few weeks ago in a theater. And those of you wanting to watch it from the comfort of your very own living room are not going to have very long to wait at all. Yeah, right you are, Bill. Shout Factory has announced that the highly acclaimed documentary will have several versions released on DVD and Blu-ray on August 6th. The regular DVD and Blu-rays are available for pre-order right now at Amazon.com and other retailers, as well as the Shout Factory store. And in addition, available only at that Shout Factory store will be a limited release of 1,500 copies of a special edition Blu-ray, which in addition to everything available on the standard versions, will include an extended conversation with composers Dennis McCarthy and Kevin Kiner, as well as a Shout Factory exclusive 50-minute roundtable discussion with co-director and DS9 showrunner Ira Stephen Bear, co-director David Zapone, producer Kai DeMello Folsom, producer-editor Joseph Kornbrolt, and producer-editor Luke Snailham. That's a lot of people at a roundtable. And we had a little bit of a roundtable example uh, when we saw it in the theater, so it's going to be very cool to see that extended one. And finally, a special Indiegogo version will be available to the thousands of supporters, which will include both a standard DVD and a Blu-ray. This version will include a few extras as well, such as the previously mentioned discussion with show composers Dennis and Kevin, as well as Indiegogo campaign videos and a technical trivia track, which is a special subtitle text track with detailed technical info and listings of the HD Hero sponsors. 
Now, it is important to note that the DVD and Blu-ray, as well as the special Shout Factory limited edition, are going to be North America releases only, but the Indiegogo version will be a region-free version so all of the worldwide supporters can enjoy it. Okay, that's it for me. (laughs) Wow, that was a lot. I mean, I'm amazed that there are just so many versions of this movie that are going to be out there on on Blu-ray. Three different ones for now. Right. Because the Shout Factory one is going to have other content that wasn't produced by the documentary team. So I can't really wrap my head around what that is, but I've ordered it anyway. There you go. Nice job. Okay. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. And Dan, finally in news this week, um, Chris Hemsworth, he who is typically known as Thor, but was also once known as George Kirk, was recently interviewed, interviewed by Variety, and he opened up about why he walked away from the now shelved Star Trek IV project, speaking of... Star Trek fours. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And as you mentioned, uh, we all know that he played Jim Kirk's father, George, and was killed in the opening moments of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek 2009. And also, as you mentioned, Bill, we know him as Thor in the Marvel Universe of films, including the current smash hit Avengers Endgame. And later on this month, he will enter the Men in Black franchise with MIB International which is going to open uh, in about two weeks from when we record here. Now, it's widely known that the story of the new Star Trek movie was going to actually have the return of George Kirk somehow. But during this interview with Variety, Hemsworth said that he turned down the role because he wasn't sold on the script. Quote, I didn't feel like we landed on a reason to revisit that yet, he revealed. I didn't want to be underwhelmed by what I was going to bring to the table, end quote. And you know what, man, to me, that says a lot about the actual story. And there's been discussion of, of he and Chris Pine walking away from negotiations with Paramount. But to be true, but to be honest with you, I'd rather not have a Star Trek movie than have a crappy Star Trek movie. And nemesis, I'm talking to you. (laughs) I'm talking to nemesis. I'm talking to generations. Uh, I'm talking to all the ones that, that pretty much suck. Um, no, I have to agree with you. Although this, this tells me that, well, I think that, uh, Payne and McKay, the writers who were originally on board for beyond who were dumped from the project in favor of the Simon Pegg script. Um, I think they were supposed to be providing the script for this installment. And this seems to be the second uh, movie that they've been associated with named with Star Trek in the title that just doesn't seem to, to take flight. Um, I, this, maybe this now means that they've got enough money to pay Chris Pine, what they told him they'd pay him in the first place. Um, who knows, but, uh, it'll be a shame to not have a fourth Kelvin timeline. Film. You know what this tells me also in, in reading this, this interview, uh, with variety, I like hearing that someone like Chris Hemsworth takes pride in his work and isn't just going to take a movie that's, that's, that's garbage and do it for a paycheck. I actually appreciate the fact that he says, you know, this isn't a, a, a something that I, really think is going to be great. It's underwhelming is what he said. So kudos to him for that. I can appreciate that. I can do because you're underwhelming to me every single day. I walked right in rake wham face. Thank you. Well, buddy, it's truly really become one of our favorite moments of the show. I mean, here we are talking about our great friends at Fansets once again. You know, every week here on Trek Geeks and also over at Discovering Trek, we take some time to talk about them because they truly are a fantastic partner. And 
well, I mean, come on, their product is truly second to none. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. The, the product is amazing. Every single month when they have new pins coming out, they're all great. They improve uh, the, the, the things that they come out with. And when they have a pin that has a defect in it, they'll throw away the whole batch and order a whole new set so that we can get the correct ones. Like Dr. Flox's hands were the wrong color recently. And so they replaced that whole thing. They really are great. Um, but you know, not only are they great business partners, they're great friends and we can't wait to see them at STLV in August, man. Uh, and speaking of STLV bill, um, that's where folks are going to be able to see and get their hands on the new women of Star Trek collector set from fan sets. And I can't wait to see that and uh, put my Quatloos down for my very own uh, collection. Um, but uh, I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited for something that will be happening before STLV. Fansets has been teasing lately about a new line of ship pins that will be available very soon. And well, buddy, you and I are going to be doing a live video very soon of the unboxing of this first pin in the series, which is, as I'm sure you will love to hear, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701 refit from Star Trek The uh, the Motion Picture. So very excited about that. Uh, when we do this live unboxing video, we'll be doing it blindly. We have no idea what this pin is going to look like, but we know it's going to be awesome because it's coming from fansets. You know, I'm really excited to do this. You and I have never done an unboxing type video before. Usually, you know, we see the product on the website, we buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when we see it. But um, Fansets wanted to do something really special because this really is a different kind of pin for them. And and we're kind of, you know, our interest is really piqued by this because we haven't seen it. Mm. So um, we know they have another, you know, uh, TMP refit pin. Uh, but this one's going to be completely different from that, they say. So I can't wait to see it. So... I got, I got to tell you, I'm going to jump in. I got to tell you, I've had a couple yeah. of conversations with Lou texting back and forth. And the excitement that comes through his texts when he talks about this pin is really like off the charts. So I really can't wait to see this. It's going to be pretty cool. Well, and plus two, I mean, don't forget that it's a new month. So there are, of course, two more pins being released in June. And those two pins are Jake Sisko. And Malcolm Reed, which I'm both very excited about. And of course, as always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you want to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com, even if you're going to order some non-Star Trek stuff, maybe you're going to buy Dan a Firefly pin, I don't know, simply enter the word WHALES at checkout. That's all caps, no spaces, W-H-A-L-E-S, WHALES. This bonus code is going to be available until Tuesday, June 11th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. So what was that whale song again? Whoa, I want to say <laughs> hi to Bill. I'm sorry, that's kind of mixing in uh, Finding Nemo with whales, but I, I, I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it is colloquial, colloquially referred to as the one with the mm -hmm. whales um, for a reason. I mean, that's because the element of the story just is so pronounced. And of course, we speak of Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, 1986's blockbuster film, uh, the one that performed better than any Star Trek had ever hoped to at that point, the one that saw more people in seats than pretty much any Star Trek at that point. And uh, Leonard Nimoy's directorial debut yes. for film, which was fantastic. So much going on with this movie and so many memories. Now, I know you didn't remember necessarily where you were when you saw uh, Wrath of Khan for the first time. Um, 
You do remember seeing TMP at the Branton downtown Nashua? Do you remember where and when you saw the voyage home for the first time? I don't, unfortunately. And I knew that you were going to ask that question, um, but I I don't. It doesn't mean that it didn't have a strong impact on me. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic, but I just don't remember which theater uh, I saw it in uh, way back then. Uh, I could say... I would have to guess, to be honest with you, it might've been the old, it might've been the old uh, movie theater in, in um, near the Hollis line, which is now PC connection for anybody in the new England area. There used to be a oh movie yeah. Theater yeah, yeah. There. Um, but that's the only thing I can think of. Cause I don't think general cinema was around anymore at the national mall, of course. And, and the brand had been gone for ages. So that's really the only one that's sticking out in my head. I saw it in Concord, New Hampshire at a really crappy theater in Concord Heights. Um, up on Loudon Road, and I saw it with a bunch of people that I went to uh, that I went to high school with, and of course, you know, I was all goofy and giddy and stuff because <laughs> it was Star Trek, and, and like, yeah, 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 and everybody had a great time, and some of them were casual Star Trek fans, some of them were not fans at all. They simply went because the group was going, and by and large, everybody had a great time at the movie, which really is what this movie is all right. about. This movie is about you know a really, really great Star Trek message at the core um, uh, wrapped around some, some hijinks, if you will, hijinks. I like that. <laughs> and some space travel. Um, and I love the fact that about this movie, there's, there's no bad guy other than the human race. That's true. And I think that's a very important point that the human race is quote, the bad guy in this, the, the whalers uh, and such, I think. And, and what, um, humans in the 23rd century have done, um, or just prior to that to cause the extinction of humpback whales, which is the whole core of this movie. Uh, and it's, it's, it's done magnificently in a Star Trek way as they have done with so many episodes back in the original series. And and I'm glad that with Leonard Nimoy directing, they decided to find a, a topic of the time and really wrap a story around it because it works perfectly in terms of telling a star trek story it truly does and it you know it it sort of is the last movie in this this mini well this trilogy of sorts that you don't really expect is going to happen i like to refer to it as the spock trilogy because spock plays a central role in pretty much all of these films even though the first film in the trilogy is wrath of khan but you know this is the one that sort of wraps up that storyline and and sort of gets the crew back in familiar territory to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing about it is that there's really not a, a dull moment in this movie from start to finish. Um, there are some great lines. There are some great scenes. There's some great conflict even, but there's not a bad moment anywhere in this movie. No, there really isn't. I mean, there's, there's one of the things that I said, uh, um, I'm not sure if it was in the opener and the outtake is one of the things I loved about this movie is, is the humor and the normalcy of that humor. It's like, you know, when you're watching, you know, television and TOS, so we didn't really get that. And sometimes when we did, it was the forced humor, like the laughing at the end of the episode on the bridge and everybody's, you know, bent over laughing so hard that their stomach hurts, that kind of silly humor. This humor works. It's, it's, you can tell that these people have been together for a long time. Um, they don't understand what it's like to be back in the 1980s and, and trying to fit in, uh, and it, it just it just really works for me. That's one of the things I like the most about it. But you're right. There is no there is no boring moment to this movie at all. I think one of the things that that really surprised me when I first saw the movie 
was the probe. Mm. You know, because I didn't quite know what to make of it. That that sort of spherical thing that hung down below it almost kind of looked like a volleyball. Yep. Uh, you know, a, a glowing volleyball. But the rest of it almost kind of reminded me like it could be a cousin of, like, see, the planet killer in the doomsday Absolutely. machine. Absolutely. Um, and that was, I felt that way in 1986. I mean, but I I like the fact that it presented a challenge for the whole planet that nobody really knew the answer to right away. And that our own short sightedness really is what cost us. And when you think about it, um, the hero of the movie is Uhura because she figures out what it is. I think that's pretty cool that she's able to uh, manipulate the dial so that they can hear what the probe sounds like underwater. Actually, it's Kirk who asked her to do that. So I guess Kirk's the hero, but I'm going to give it to her anyway, because, you know, she's awesome and and she's going to be on the Women of Star Trek pin collection this year. So um, but uh, I I like how they have things like that. Um, You said something that I wanted to to talk about. You made me think something, but it just went completely out of my head. So I'm going to go off on a separate tangent for just a second. There's a lot of firsts in this, uh, or excuse me, there's a lot of of cameos in this movie that I really appreciate. Um, Of course, Sarek is back um, for a little bit, which I really like seeing him. We get to see Amanda uh, for the first time since the original series uh, TV show, which I think is fantastic. Um, We get to see Joe Sisko. I thought that was pretty cool too. (laughs) <laughs> as, as Admiral Cartwright. Um, which I, In his first appearance as Cartwright. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that, if unless I'm mistaken, that I really appreciate with this movie is, is today is the 50th anniversary of Turnabout Intruder as we record. Janice Lester mentions there are no, they don't, Starfleet doesn't allow Starship captains. But in this movie, we see for the first time a female captain, if I'm not mistaken, when the uh, probe is uh, wrecking havoc with some of the starships uh, surrounding uh, the the planet and in the quadrant. Captain of the Saratoga, I, I think believe it that's is? correct. Yeah. Played by Madge Sinclair, Absolutely. who at the time was on Trapper John MD. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's just, I'm, I'm like an, a walking internet movie. She of Coming to America fame, unfortunately, will not be in the sequel. Because that's right that's the way right. but yeah um yeah she was great in that i've always loved that scene with her because like ah oh, we finally get to see a, a female captain so i thought that was pretty cool well this film also marks uh, major barrett roddenberry's final performance as christine chapel she doesn't do a lot in right. the movie um but she is there so i, I that, that's that's kind of bittersweet in a mm-hmm. sense uh, of course major got to do some even cooler things on next gen you think? which uh, <laughs> yeah a little bit <laughs> um but yeah, you know, so there's lots of familiar faces. One of the things that I, and this is really minor. I mean, this is not a huge complaint about this movie, but remember in the two previous movies, we had a lot of Savick. Yes. <laughs> in Star Trek two and Star Trek three. In this movie, we see Savick just at the beginning and then we never see her. Right. Again. Yep. And that really was a bummer. Yep. Um, was of course, Robin Curtis, who we mentioned in the news segment is going to be a Trek on this, this summer. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little more. Maybe they, you know, they come back and, and Savick joins them as they, they meet their fate. I don't know, but I, I would have liked to have seen a little more Savick in this movie. That's really, and again, that's a minor. Yeah, if I think about it, uh, Kirk says goodbye to her and she says, yes, Admiral. And then she says, greetings, Captain Spock. May your journey be free of incident. And that's it. Right. Am I missing something? No, I I would never challenge you on something like that. I mean, that's I mean that's sad because you know I was I was always kind of like, huh, when Kirstie Alley didn't return for three uh, or four, obviously. But Robin Curtis is very popular as Savick, and she has been for all these years. And uh, it's too bad that character um, 
could really have evolved. I just remembered what I was going to talk about a minute ago. Can I, can yeah. I talk about it? <laughs> of course. The probe. A missed opportunity, I think. Um, there could have been some great future discussion episodes, dialogue about where that probe came from and such. There was a novel written at some point um, after this movie, of course, called Probe. I read it. I don't remember anything about it. So that kind of tells me it wasn't all that good, but I don't remember. Um, or it could just be that I've read so many novels since then that I don't recall the details. But I think it would have been neat to have some kind of backstory later on about the probe. I think that would have been neat. No, I think that would have been really good too. Or maybe if it gets mentioned again in next gen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or or some other star Trek in the future, you know, talking, or at least uh, doing some kind of callback to this. I think that could have been really effective. Um, I, I I do love the fact that, you know, this probe is, is sent to talk to whales. Um, I mean, I just, the whole idea of the story. I can you see them breaking this in the writer's room? Okay, so hear me out here. Um, so there's this probe and it's making all this noise and it's causing Earth just to go into havoc. I mean, it's like the oceans are boiling and and you know, technology's down and you know, there's power out everywhere. And it's all because the probe can't get an answer. Okay, we've heard that in Star Trek mm-hmm. before. But no, no, this time it's different because it's looking for whales, man. It wants to talk to the whales. <laughs> and they're and they're gone, and the, and they're gone because we've hunted them to to extinction. One of my favorite lines in the movie is Spock saying, "Only human arrogance would uh, assume that the way that the 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 probe's message was for man." I think that's a great line. I I I muffed it up, but you get the you get the gist. I love that line. Well, and I think that initially we all assume it is because that's what Star Trek is about. It's about us seeking out the unknown. We never stopped to think that there could be something that came to talk to another species because it's, it's our own, you know, human arrogance, you know, or, or as mission log calls it, I think carbon chauvinism on some extent, um, because we're the smartest ones, or at least we think we are. Um, it, it's gotta be for us. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned you, you had the very, you know, it wasn't really a complaint, just a small thing. And with regards to Savic. One of the things that I don't have anything that I really dislike about the movie at all, but one of the things that I've always kind of like been like, okay, that's not supposed to be happening is warping out of the atmosphere. That was, that's yeah. been established a long time ago that, that doing such so would rip the atmosphere out of the, off the planet, this, that, and the other thing. But the, the bird of prey does that at the end of the movie. And I always, that always kind of was like a downer for me because so many things in this movie were done right. Even the dream sequence which hokiness with the, with the plaster images and stuff like that. And, and what I liked was the future quotes in the movie being played backwards, I think is really great. And some people look at that scene as kind of a downer as to how the whole movie played out. But that warp scene has always been like, oh, couldn't you just wait it a few seconds? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I have to admit that for the uh, for the whole sort of weird dreamy thing, you know, after they slingshot around the sun where you see those the sort of sculptures of, of the crew, I, I thought that was a little trippy even in 86. <laughs> I mean, I watched that the first time going, what the hell is this? Star Trek Easter Island. 
<laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, I, I did like that they, you know, that they did another slingshot around the sun, keeping yes. that sort of tie to the original series, which made me happy. And and I liked that, you know, it was in the the Klingon bird of prey, which I don't know. I think that Maltz is still back there somewhere. <laughs> Um, because they never really said what they did right. with him. And the, you know, he's, what, is there a Vulcan prison? Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I think they were on Vulcan for three months or roughly three yeah. months. Yep. Um, so maybe he's on Vulcan, but you would have thought they would have tied that loose end off. Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe John Larroquette is just back there. I don't know. Um, scooping water into the tank. Wow. Okay. All right. Or trying to fish me out cause you want to drown me in it, but, uh, that's, oh, that would be so I know, great that's a story for another day. Um, Lots of lots of good, you know, we could talk for hours about all the different things. One of the things that I've always wondered about is, of course, Jillian goes back to the future <laughs> uh, with the crew. Uh, Got to wonder if there's any ramifications of that. I mean, I'd love to, I mean, with, with my, with my imagination going, I could just imagine writing a book, going back to the Guardian of Forever and seeing what would have happened had Jillian not gone with them to the future. I mean, she says she's got nothing there, but that doesn't mean that she couldn't possibly have a very important part of history. Had she not gone forward in time? Well, that's it. It doesn't mean that she doesn't make a contribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe she doesn't, maybe she doesn't, maybe her contribution is she comes to the future to help teach humanity how to care for whales. True. Yep. And, and that's another uh, thing. We never really see her again after this movie. We never hear about her. We never see her. Um, but you're absolutely right. Maybe she was like the the instructor that came forward to help teach about whales since they have been extinct for over 100 years, if I remember correctly, based on what Spock said at the beginning of the movie. Right. No, definitely. In fact, let's talk about Spock a little mm-hmm. bit um, because I wrote it down here. It's a Spock. It's, it's five letters. It just says Spock. Um, this sort of completes Spock's journey in this trilogy. Um, and granted, it's played a little more for comic effect here. Remember, there was the refusion, the Faltor pan at the end of the previous movie. And he sort of gets his Katra back in his own head. And I think one of the things that happens very effectively here is sort of that fish out of water ah. um, on a variety of levels uh, for Spock. Um, not just being with his crewmates again, but also being in Earth's past and still not being sure of who he is. I, I think that it adds a series of layers that is very entertaining, but also very worthwhile growth for Spock. And uh, I think it's probably one of my favorite treatments of the character. Yeah. At at times for me, it was a little aggravating that he was not the Spock that we were used to. Um, He was the Vulcan Spock. I mean, at the beginning when he's doing the lessons and then later when, when, when people are, are trying to talk to him about, about, things that he used to be like and he just had that quizzical look and it's like come on when's when's the real spock gonna show up come on let's go but as i've seen it dozens and dozens of times over the years i've grown to appreciate that arc of the character since he has now basically come back to life and is uh is starting his journey over again well i feel like he accomplishes that at the end of this movie when he's talking to sarek And says, you know, tell mother I feel fine. I think that's really sort of the, you know, the, the, the finish line as far as remembering his humanity or at least learning to become comfortable with it again. Because I don't think that Vulcan Spock would have said that at the beginning of this movie. No. Um, and what a great scene that is too, by the way, between Mark Leonard and, and Leonard Nimoy. 
really the first one they've had together. And actually, I have to check myself. This wasn't Nimoy's directorial debut. The last movie was. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Search yep. for Spock. Yep. Um, I'm sure people have already sent emails <laughs> and screamed at me, but, um, you know, sorry, it happens. This is the perils of live podcast recording. Um, but no, I love that scene between them because really it's the first scene they've had together as actors since what, 1967? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's pretty interesting. That's, that's amazing. And, and they, they work so well together, even back then in the sixties, they, they really, they really did a good job together and it's only, it's a short scene, but it works really well. Uh, in Star Trek, in Star Trek Four, and huh, hmm, people have been, been, you know, I don't want to say bitching, but I'm going to say bitching about the fact that Doctor Culber had happened what happened to him in, in season two Discovery, but huh, it happened before. Hmm, people don't come back to life, Bill. Right? Am I wrong? I have no idea yeah, what you're talking what about. I thought. That's what I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't Discovery been canceled according to Midnight's Edge? <laughs> wow, you don't actually read that triple, do you? <laughs> no, 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 I didn't think so. No, no. Um, you know, let's talk about the whales for a second. Yeah, let's I do love it. whales. <laughs> that's all I have to say. I no, <laughs> no I've <laughs> thank you for bringing that insightful ever, commentary ever, as a flagship. I appreciate ever it. since I was a kid, I have been just just completely enthralled with with whales i've i love their grace i love watching videos of of them breaching and and flipping over and their tails and i've always wanted to go on a whale watch i was supposed to go on one when i was a kid but the person who was supposed to bring us was sick that day so i never got to go so to be able to have a movie based on the whales is just something that i always really really loved and that end scene when they're actually showing real whales jumping in in the bay is is one of my favorite moments of the movie i just love it you know, one of the things that really occurred to me recently is people watching this film for the first time now, um, you know, 30, almost 35 years after the fact, um, have no idea who George and Gracie are. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we knew at the time because George Burns was still a, hu- right. a huge star, even at almost 90, you know, 90 years mm-hmm. old. Um, but, you know, between him and, and Gracie Allen, I mean, um, they were legends of their era. Yeah. And it was cute that the whales were named George and Gracie. And now these days, you know, Ah. new fans to the, to the franchise or people watching this movie for the first time, it's not necessarily, you know, a given that people understand who George and Gracie are. Right. I I never really thought of that, but you're absolutely right. Cause you think it's 30, 86, I think is when it came out. Was it 86? Yeah. Yeah. 33 years coming up. So yes. And so that's, that's, that's a generation at least of people that probably have no idea who George Burns even is um, or was. So yeah, that's a good point too. But I, I, I love uh, the whole, um, the whole scene with Spock mind melding with it. I mean, people might say, how's that even possible? Well, he mind melded with a Horda. Um, yep. So it's certainly possible that he can mind meld with a whale who obviously are intelligent because they're communicating with interstellar species because they sent a probe. Um, that scene is just hysterical. The look on Kirk's face when he, when he puts his hand up to his mouth and it's just like, Oh my God, that's one of those great humor moments of, of the movie that I I've always appreciated. I have to say that one of the things that really impresses me about this movie is how easily the cast gets to slip back into doing something lighthearted and comedic on some level. If the movie's not a comedy, so I'm glad they didn't have Eddie Murphy for this movie, by the right. way. Um, but there are some incredibly light moments and Shatner really is exceptional in how he plays those moments. Uh, I have to give the guy his due. 
Um, you know, the last two movies were very dark, very heavy for Star Trek. And this one lightens it up a bit and he rolls with it and probably turns in some of my favorite lines as Kirk. Yeah. Um, being, you know, what the thing between Kirk and Spock is they're both a couple of straight men. Yeah. And, and Kirk thinks he can navigate the space because he understands, you know, colorful metaphors, <laughs> double dumbass on you and all that. Um, but he really is, is just as much a fish out of water as Spock is, but Shatner and Nimoy together in this are just pure brilliant. And he's from Iowa. He only works in outer space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It all works good. And, and so do yeah. you. Yes. That, that is one of the best comedic parts of the entire movie is that back and forth. The yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. It's, it's it's like us talking on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Well, then he, you know, when he's having dinner with, uh, with the doctor from the Cetacean Institute, uh, they get pizza and I think he has a Michelob yes. light. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's, that's a deep recall. <laughs> um, yeah, the I'm from Iowa, I only work in outer space. Everybody remember where we parked. Shatner has so many great one-liners mm-hmm. in this that you could quote, you know, you quote them all from the movie and they're all hilarious they are you know what else is hilarious to me shatner's hair underwater oh, okay i wasn't gonna go there but okay um is is it's cool but it's also hilarious is the squishing garbage can <laughs> when the uh when the when the bird of prey lands cloaked i always thought that was kind of a hokey but kind of funny special effect for back in the day uh it's just something that always uh, always stuck out for me well, really, the ground kind of collapsing under the weight of the the landing gear for the bird yes, of prey yeah. doesn't really make any sense um, because the ship is designed to land. It doesn't do that anywhere else. No, I'm thinking now. It's just, it, Golden Gate Park had soft uh, turf. That's what it was. It's erosion. That's uh, what yes. It yeah. Well, you know, it's all that salt air. I'm sure it doesn't do that on 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 Kronos. Oh, yeah. The, atm- okay, the, atm- the atmosphere is different. The gravity is not as strong. I. Yes. Thanks to Keyless. <laughs> wow. I um there's there's so much to love about this movie. The various subplots, the crew breaking up and and going to find what they need to find. You figure, you know, McCoy and Scotty at the transparent aluminum lab with Dr. Nichols. Mm. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, of course, you get hello computer, which people still use to the the gifts for that on social media today. Right. right. Um, you know, you get, uh, you get Sulu trying to get the helicopter and he flips the windshield wipers. Um, <laughs> just, just, you get Uhura and Chekhov aboard the enterprise, nuclear vessels. uh, the nuclear vessels. Mm-hmm. It just, there is so much here that just makes you smile from ear to ear. And I think that that's what makes this one of the best Star Trek movies of all time. You know what I forgot to talk about, which I absolutely. Uh, is the Klingon ambassador at the beginning of this movie. John Shuck, I believe, is who played the part. Yep. He is awesome. I really wish we got to see a lot more of him later on. Of course, we did see him later, but but I really loved his speech, the quintessential devil in these matters. Love that entire scene with him. And this that's the scene where um, recently I read that somebody swears during that part when Sarek is introduced and somebody yells, off in the distance. And if you play that back, it's actually somebody cursing. I, I'm going to have to go back and see what the actual curse is. And I'll, I'll post it on Twitter, but I just saw that recently and I was dumbfounded by it. 
I've not heard this at yeah. all. This is this is net new to me. Net new, yeah. But um, I love it. I, I I find it interesting also that um, probably for for payment and money reasons that Kirk has taken over the Genesis um, uh, video <laughs> instead of Carol uh, Marcus. But uh, that's still kind of funny. I'm looking at a picture right now with the Klingon ambassador in front of that video with Kirk. Um, I just really always love that. You got to see a lot of different aliens in that scene too. In that in that. I don't want to say courtroom, but the chambers of the United Federation of Planets. Well, I think that's one of the things I appreciated about both four and six is that in the large gatherings mm-hmm. you saw, uh, both at you know Starfleet headquarters and at Camp Kittimer, yeah. there were a bunch of aliens. And I think that's that's one of the things that probably the Star Trek movies could have done more yeah. with. There were supposed to be more aliens in TMP because I remember the trading cards that came out at the time. And there were all kinds of aliens designed for the movie that you just never saw. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. You never get to see him never. And, and there's been times where I've looked in, in the Star Trek encyclopedia or something like that to see if we can find what those aliens are. And I've, sometimes I have not come across them. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have, uh, you know, this is probably a loaded question because I mean, you could say the whole movie and, and that would be an appropriate answer, but do you have an all time favorite moment in this movie? Um, I would have to think about that. I, uh, I like the humor. Um, I like, I'd have, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Uh, Like you said, the whole movie is just so great, but, uh, I, I do like it when, uh, I don't know if it's my favorite part of the movie, but when, when Kirk pretty much takes box and takes Spock and throws him in the ocean, uh, and then Spock comes out of the water and he's like, ah, ah. I just think that's a great moment. Also, um, I'd have to think about what my favorite part is. Um, maybe just the very beginning when the probe appears and the, the special effects for the time are very, very well done. Of course, no, no, um, CGI starships. Those are all real models that I believe they use for yeah. all that. They look fantastic. The probe looks great. You can see the size differential of that probe versus some of the starships. And I think that's really, really done well. If you put a gun to my head right now and made me think of a favorite part, I probably would go back to the Klingon ambassador scene. I just love that scene to death. Really? Yeah, I really do. I love John Shuck in that role. I think he's fantastic. He looks good. The uniform is amazing. And he, he bleeds Klingon. He's, he'd be a great Klingon on a recurring basis. He also played a great Cardassian at one point too. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. I know that he was yeah. also, I think he was, um, wasn't he one of the, uh, Adams family movies or, or something? I forget what, what, one of those, one of those redos. I don't know if it was the Adams family or something else. If memory serves, he's also the ex-husband of Susan Bay, who, um, was also married to Leonard Nimoy. Whoa. Small world. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> um, was, yeah, he was, uh, he was the Cardassian Parn in part two of the Maquis on DS9. Oh, I'm going to have to look into that. I'm going to watch that again. He also plays another Klingon on Enterprise um, in Affliction and Divergence. Oh, okay. And he's uh, also in the Voyager episode Muse, which is different from The Muse from Deep, Deep Space One of your Nine. favorites. Uh, yeah, the worst episode of Deep Space Nine ever. <laughs> and yes, it's worse than Profit and Lace. I'm just saying. Okay. Um, but yeah, John Chuck has, uh, has appeared in, in Trek a, a number of times, but I have to agree. Um, probably his, my favorite is his Klingon ambassador. Role. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, there's so many great scenes, the, the bus scene, um, with the music playing, um, 
and and the double dumbass on you is another great one. Uh, when he goes and sells his glasses, it's just another, there's so many great mo- nuclear vessels. Um, just I'll tell you mine. Go ahead, I'm waiting for it. It's in the hospital where McCoy gives the old lady the pill, <laughs> and you know because she's supposed to go on dialysis, <laughs> and she's cured. What is this? Uh, the dark that- ages. <laughs> <laughs> Here, take one of these. Um, it's just, it, it is such a, it's such a small scene. It's such a brilliant scene. I mean, all the chaos going on in that hospital, but yet it is just so human that it, it's wonderful. But it's also could be technically, it could be messing with the timeline. Uh, it could be, but I mean, <laughs> there comes a time where I kind of have to set that aside and just enjoy it. Right. There's a lot of this that could mess up the time. I mean, transparent aluminum, <laughs> aluminum. I mean, and his, his Scotty's answer to that was, how do we know he didn't invent the thing? Really? That's that's really playing a fine line with altering the timeline. So, but yeah, well, it's all in good. This form. is why I say there's no temporal prime directive because there isn't one. <laughs> nice, nice. I like that. Oh, yeah. This movie is, you know, the Department of Temporal Investigation should have been all over right. this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. What? Uh, God, what were those guys' Lex, names? Uh, uh, was, Luxley and yes, Dolmer. The, the backwards of oh. X Files. Yes. Which I never, uh-huh. I've never watched an episode of in my life. By the way, there's a lot of shows you haven't seen. I only watched the good ones. Oh, I'm just kidding. X Files is, is I, a great I, yes, show. I've heard that it's very good. I just never, never got got to watch it. That's all. <laughs> I um, the, the the scene with the the old lady in the hospital is one of my favorites. And I have to admit, when Kirk and company face, you know, they're they're court martial, and they all walk out together, and Spock joins them there. I'm not going to lie. I get a little misty. Yeah. Um, I just, I just thought of my favorite moment. <clears throat> As you okay. said that it's the very end when, you know, they're going to, they're going to get a freighter and they pass over the Excelsior and there's the NCC 1701A. And Kirk says, my friends, we've come home. That's where I get misty. eyed. That's just absolutely cinematic perfection right there. And Uhura, you can see her kind of raising up behind everybody and putting her arm or putting her hand on, on, I think it's Kirk's shoulder, maybe Scotty's, to try to get a good view of what's coming up over the the Excelsior. Absolutely fantastic. You get the entire crew there, where they're supposed to be together, and they're going back to the Enterprise. That's my favorite moment. That bridge is very white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let me just think about it. That little shuttle comes over the top of the Excelsior, and you see the saucer of the um of the new enterprise and it says ncc 1701a there was a lot of talk at the time between fans like well maybe they'll get the excelsior yeah i was one of those Um, people i thought they would and i would have been personally bummed by that because i think there has to be an enterprise Mm -hmm. um i never thought they would rename a ship because in theory in canon that's what they did with this one yes but you know everything this looks brand new and and bright and and not weathered and and the ship, you know, the bridge looks pristine. And it's like, you know what? This means we start again. This means they get to go off into the unknown yeah. and, and, and search for new civilizations mm-hmm. boldly going. And the end of this movie to me is pretty, pretty damn exciting. Yeah, It is very exciting. It's, it's what you, you, first of all, as a fan, you see that happen and you know, there's going to be another movie. It's not going to be a continuation movie at all, but you know that it's gonna it's gonna happen, and we're gonna get and we're gonna keep getting Star Trek on the big screen. That was my thought. I knew 
I had no doubt in my mind whatsoever that at the end of that movie that there would be a Star Trek V. Oh, same here. And even when that moment moment happens and they come over the top of the Excelsior and there's the Enterprise, the theater that I was in, which was not necessarily filled with Star Trek fans, broke out into applause. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. It's one of the few times in my life I've gone to a, you know, a, a showing of a new movie where there was actual applause. Unlike, you know, an anniversary screening, a Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, yep. uh, the crowd loved it so much that that, that was the perfect ending. Um, there's, you know, people talk a lot about bad writing, which I, I think is a lazy critique of things. I think it's a crutch for people not knowing how to describe what they don't like, but there's not a single bit of bad writing really in this no. movie. And I think that's the reason why it stands up so well today. You know, even 30 plus years down the road, this movie still is just as watchable as it was on day one. And, and you can't say that about every other Star Trek. movie. No, absolutely not. I, if, if there's no bad writing, I mean, there's a couple of scenes that are a little like, and eh, like when, when Jillian is really mad that the whales were let go early and she slaps mm-hmm. the guy, that's kind of a, that's kind of an uncomfortable scene to watch. It's not the best acted one, but that has nothing to do with the writing. Um, I think the writing is phenomenal in this, in this, it's a great story. It's got great character development. Even these characters are still developing after how many years has it been since the original series at this point? 20, 30, 30? I mean, from, from the original oh, no, 20, series, you're 20 right. something 20. years, there's still character right. development taking place in this movie. And that's a credit to the writing, the writing staff, like you said earlier in the writer's room, I got this great story, dude, about these whales that plus the rest of what they do around that core part of this movie is is really really done brilliantly what's well, funny you mentioned a, a slap earlier um just a minute ago when when jillian slaps the guy at the cetacean institute and apparently she really slapped that guy really oh hard. yeah that's i yes absolutely that was that was <laughs> and according to nimoy's commentary on the dvd the other actor wasn't expecting it and he certainly wasn't happy about it <laughs> Hey, you know what? Sometimes when you act, well, look at the look at the um, um, total tangent right here. But one of the um, parts of the DS9 documentary that we saw in STLV a few years back during the finale with Gul Dukat and Cisco, <laughs> Avery Brooks hauled off and and broke Mark Alimo's nose. It happens. And, it happens in acting, but I guess some people don't appreciate it. <laughs> if, if we were acting in a scene, I would have no problem punching you in the face. Wow, because it wouldn't be acting. So I guess you'd be a horrible actor. <laughs> okay, point taken. You, you know when you when you watch this movie, just as we did thirty three years ago when it premiered, the very opening moment is a dedication to the men and women of the space shuttle Challenger. That's correct. Yeah, and this was a very pivotal moment in in really American history and also in entertainment because NASA has always been inspired by Star Trek. And this was one of those cases where Star Trek was kind of inspired by NASA. Mm-hmm. It's really the only time that something like this has happened before a Star Trek movie. And it's interesting to see that dedication before the film because I'm immediately taken right back to 1986. I yeah, it's, that's that's our I, I've said this before. The Challenger uh, explosion is our Kennedy assassination in terms of our yeah. our lives growing up. We know exactly where we were. We know exactly what we were doing when that happened. And you're absolutely right. And I think this is the first time that we've had a movie, not just Star Trek, where there was a national disaster of proportion like this, where there was a dedication before the movie to 
what happened. I I can't think of any other one before this where that has happened. No. Yeah. Well, and and this movie, like this dedication, is truly what Star Trek is about, and that's hope. Absolutely. You know, they talk about the courageous spirit of those people who died aboard the Challenger and how they hope that their spirit lives to the 23rd century and beyond. And there's nothing but hope in that message. Just as there is hope throughout the entire, you know, Voyage Home film in hoping that we can be smart enough to avoid the mass extinction of such a, a, a beautiful life form. I'd like to think that we've become a little smarter, but I honestly don't know. Well, you know, I got to say, and I hate to be a downer. I think we're worse now than we were 30 years ago when it comes to some things. I just remember recently looking at things about African animals and and they're close to extinction. And, and when we were in Disney, they were talking about hippos and, and stuff like that. And, and you think it's been 30 years since, since Star Trek four with the whales, you know, that's, that's a strong message in that movie. And you would think that people would learn from that message, even though it's just science fiction, but unfortunately i don't i don't know if that's the case what a what a grossly arrogant and and uninteresting species humans are at times yeah you know i mean we just we do so much as a as a, as a race of beings to really hold back the potential of this planet and you know, i don't like to get preachy or political and i know you don't either but i mean this movie really is all about being a wake up call and as much as we love this movie and as much as we love the story and what happens, um, I think that wake up call is probably needed now more than ever. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely needed now. I, I, I see these stories. And again, just like you said, not to get political or preachy. I see these stories of, of people that are on hunting trips just for the sport to get a, a head of a particular animal. It disgusts me to no end. I can't stand it when I see a dead squirrel on the highway. I just, it, I, I can't stand. That's true. And to know that we still have people in this world that will do things to defenseless creatures like that for sport. Um, go back and watch this movie, people, because it's important. It's got a good message. And that's all I have to say about that. I can't wait to see the negative iTunes reviews we get for that. <laughs> good. <laughs> and I will wear each one of those with a badge of, of Absolutely. honor. I really yep. will. Um, this movie is, is so brilliant in its comedy, in its message in its performance. And I got to say everything that happens behind the scenes on this movie, all of the effects, all of the, all of the art, you know, everything that happens just works perfectly in this. And actually this movie begins Michael Kuda's association with Star Trek. That's a very good thing. Nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with the Akutas. Absolutely. You know, it's, it, it it is a movie that represents the best of Star Trek. I just wish it represented the best of us. Mm. Um, now I want to go watch this movie again, even though I only watched it the other day. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that's also good is the special effects definitely hold up because one of the special effects in this movie was actually used in TNG. And that's the Klingon bird of prey, um, heading into the sun at warp speed. That actual shot was used, reused, I should say during redemption part two, they just added disruptor fire into it. I didn't realize pretty that. cool stuff. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Wow, you actually brought something to the table here today. I'm really kind of impressed by that, David. Every once in a while, I'm going to pull a, I'm like the magician in Frosty the Snowman. Every once in a while, I'll pull a rabbit out of my hat. Except that's not where you're pulling the rabbit silly, out of. Silly, silly, <laughs> silly. Um, that's a deep cut reference for some of you who may not have watched the animated Frosty the Snowman yes. from the 1960s. Wow. 
Well, Dan, there you and I could probably do a series of podcasts on Star Trek for the voyage home. Um, I can imagine this is the kind of thing where we just keep talking about scenes we love and love and love and, and laugh and smile the whole time. Um, but this is only an hour long podcast. So, um, do you have any final thoughts on this? Just landmark epic Star Trek film. One of the things I like about discussions like this, I'm going to be honest. I have no show notes for this episode. I don't have, we don't have any, what do we want to discuss? It's when you have these discussions that are so pure and so un practiced or thought of for that moment. We're just going to go into this discussion. We know the movie like the back of our hands. We're going to talk about all these different things. These are the discussions that I love the most because they're so honest. It is a movie that I never get bored of. I love it. It has held up unbelievably well when you think it's a 1980s movie and you got 80s music and, and, and stuff like that. It's one of those ones that you can sit down with a bowl of popcorn and a martini and just sit back and relax and have a lot of fun. A bowl of popcorn and a martini. That's really kind of an interesting combination. Uh, you there. can have a, you can have martini with anything, man. <laughs> I had a bowl of dog food and have a martini. It'll still probably be good. Mm, Alpo. Yummy. Yummy. I, um, this is one of those Star Trek movies that it, it could be on and I would never turn it off. Uh, I could be late for something, even though I've seen this hundreds of times, I would still watch this thing, even if I had somewhere to be, because it's Star Trek for the voyage home. It's the one with the whales, (laughs) and it's the one with probably the most Star Trek of messages since the motion picture. Agreed, 100%. And that's another thing, not to go off on another tangent, because I know we're wrapping up, but people don't understand the message in the motion picture. I wish more people would. That's all I have to say. Well, I, I think that, you know it gets those inevitable comparisons to star Wars uh, because it was put out in answer to star Wars in, in the shorthand for most people, but it was a thoughtful science fiction film. And really it's the most star Trek of all of them yes. with the exception possibly of star Trek for the voyage home. Um, that that's an interesting debate, which one is more star Trek. Um, but the answer is it doesn't matter because they're both wonderful stories here, here, um, worthy of the name. Yes. So, well, Dan, um, Thing, speaking of worthy of things, I am just thankful that we are worthy enough to play the music of five-year mission on this podcast each and every week. We are so grateful to them for letting us uh, use their music on the show because it certainly adds such a great element to Trek Geeks. Um, they are the best. We love those guys so much. And uh, we want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Please download all of their albums. Become a huge fan. Support the band um, because we guarantee you're just you're going to love it. I mean, we've had so many people tell us since we started Trek Geeks that they have actually gone out and listened to five-year mission because of us and they've become huge fans and we know you will be too. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Please download their music, buy some CDs, show them some love. And tell creation that they're fools for not having them uh, at STLV year after year after year. Fools. Fools, I say. Uh, yeah, they're great. You know, they're working on year five right now. Fark posted a video just the other day of him drumming, and he makes funny faces when he's drumming, and he admits it, and it's pretty funny stuff. It's not limited to just drumming. <laughs> wow. Well, I made that comment on the video. Uh, it's it's not limited to just drumming. He makes funny faces. That's hysterical. Well, I got to tell you, we love Five Year Mission. Go out and get their albums like Bill said. You know what else I love, Bill? I love the trouble with Tribbles. I see. I thought you were going to say cheese. No, I do love cheese. I'm going to probably have some provolone when I'm done recording right now. Um, but uh, Trouble with Tribbles is a great episode. It's one of the. It's one of the. 
it's it is one of the best episodes in Trek history. It's funny. We're talking about humor with Star Trek Four. The humor is great. The story is fun. And remember, Bill, <laughs> turtles are not dangerous. <laughs> I'm hanging up on you. <laughs> I got to say, that's one of the best lines. But the best line of dialogue has to be when Kirk doesn't really understand what's going on. And I'm going to I'm gonna relive that for you right now. I can hardly yes. wait. And now, Captain, I want all available musicians. I want them posted around the storage compartments. Storage compartments? Storage compartments? The storage compartments containing the Quadro Triticale. The what? The what? There you go. I hate you so much. <laughs> That's one. Let's see. One, two, three, four, 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 four Farkisms. I'm amazed you can count that out. <laughs> Storage compartments. I like that one. I think that Storage compartments. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 hey, I'm here all week, folks. Thank you. Thank- <laughs> no, no, he's not. Thank God. Um. Yeah, I I really don't know how to wind that up other than to say, fiveyearmission.net, everyone, please um, go buy some CDs. They'll love you for it, and so will we. Um, Dan, of course, don't forget that you and everyone else can support the Trek Geeks Network podcast by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. Get exclusive access to content not available anywhere else. See the first of our annual supporters pins from fan sets. Spoiler alert. I'm working on the year two design. It looks pretty awesome. Yeah, it does. And even get raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts along with, well, a whole bunch of other perks too. Absolutely. We would also like to take a moment right now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are very grateful for their support. And they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, and the beautiful and gracious Andy Fark. Who makes faces when he drums, apparently. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. Love it. Just absolutely love it. Every time you say those names, I just get happy. If you'd like to become a producer on the network or even get access to the raw audio for the Trek Geeks episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today, where subscription levels start as low as $1 a month. Next week, Dan, as we record today, it is, of course, the 50th anniversary of the first showing of Turnabout Intruder. That's a huge milestone in Star Trek. Yes, it was on June 3rd, 50 years ago, 1969, that what was believed to be the last episode of Star Trek aired on broadcast television. I did know that, Bill. And I also know that internment will take place on Benicia. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like my dog too close to the microphone. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, who would have thought back then people thought that Star Trek was over forever. That just blows my mind. So next week, we're going to turn back the clocks and take a closer look at the people who made TOS work. And believe me, we owe many of these people a tremendous debt of gratitude because they started it all. And here we are 50 years later with yet new Trek on the horizon, Bill. It's pretty awesome. It's a great time to be a fan. And be sure to check us out next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. So many amazingly talented people 
that helped make the original series what it was. It, as much as we love Gene Roddenberry and he gets so much credit, it wasn't just Gene. And those are some of the people we're going to talk about next week. Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out, and I mean everyone, the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. And of course, Dan, your favorite part for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 180 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. I love coconuts. And so do you. No. Yes. No. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! (laughs) Bing bong! (laughs) Oh my god, is this it? Is this finally the end of Trek Geeks? Oh my god, he's he's convulsing on the floor. What's going on? I'm back. I'm good. Oh, damn. Sorry about that. Uh, hi, buddy. <laughs> Bing bong. <laughs> hi. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry I ruined your <laughs> evening by not dying. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, dream. I guess that's just like every other <laughs> night. <laughs> wow, tough crowd. Okay, great. You know what? Got some really good yeah, stuff. Got some good stuff. You know, I'm looking at the Patreon pin right now on my desk, and damn, if that's not beautiful. It is beautiful. I need to look at something beautiful when we record because I really don't have anything beautiful to look at. So every once in a while, I'll look at the uh, Patreon pin. Yeah. That is that all you're bringing to the table? Yeah, kind of. Be I want to be nice today. You know why? Because because you're not that bright. I, I make things go. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think next year for STLV, mm. we should be packed. Wow. I, why did I have a feeling that that was going to be the case? Dude, that would be awesome. Just think about it. I mean, they're Ken Ray's favorite alien. Have we ever seen Packlins at STLV? I think we, I think I have years ago. I don't know oh. if you have. Oh, you could just show up without anything and you'd be Packlin. But I'm like the Tom Selleck of Packlins. Oh, no, that's chips. Sorry. And besides, you don't want to do that. That's true. Spotify. Spotify. Um, Dude, I, I make I would make pack lids look awesome. Well, anything you do would make would be looking awesome because you know why? You can say it. Go ahead. No, you say I don't know. You're what you're awesome. Is that that, that was, wow? That's really the build up. Yeah, was it? You don't need a build up for that, Bill. It's not all pomp wow. and circumstance. We're not having a state dinner or anything. <laughs> oh, see, now I want dinner. <laughs> I haven't eaten dinner yet, so yeah, I do too. Oh, I, I have. You have. I have, and I'm waiting. That's all right. I yeah. have. I'm in the middle of a uh, a summer nutrition challenge. Mm. So I've been tracking my macros. I'm sure this is really exciting for everybody listening to the outtake. But um, today was day one of getting back on track, and I'm doing pretty okay, which I'm very happy about. So you're using Excel for this? No, no, no. There's a um, it, there's a, a an app called My Fitness Pal, 
And uh, my my nutrition coach at the gym um, has given me specific macros for uh, fat, carbs, and protein, uh, as well as a daily caloric goal. And the goal is to come as close to it uh, on all four of those numbers as possible. Oh, okay. I, you said you were tracking your macros, so I thought you used an Excel. Yeah, macronutrients. Oh, I thought you meant macros like formulas in Excel. <laughs> no, although I sure I, I could. Uh, uh. Um, I do have an Excel ninja who lives in my ah! house. I tell you, she's done. My wife has done things with Excel that I just didn't know were yeah, possible. Yeah, same with Sue. I mean, I guess the whole you know, she's an underwriter and and your wife's an, an accountant, so they use that program and they do things with. It. I use the I use the sum formula really well. <laughs> <laughs> I st- I still type in the, the the formula instead of using the stupid sum. I do button. that. Yeah. And yeah. I hit the I hit the top to make it go in alphabetical order, and then I hit it again to go backwards. <laughs> I can use Excel. <laughs> I, I have used conditional formatting. Ooh, tricky, tricky. I know, I know. That's, that's I'm good. I've, I've I learned things. Unlike a back. Well, that's true. Too. But s- seriously, next year for for the, the big convention, wherever it's going to be, we don't know if it'll be Vegas or uh, not because we don't know if Creation's going to yeah. have it. Um, but let's assume for the moment they are. So ne- Vegas next year. Let's do packlets. I'm up for that. Let's just let's commit to it right All now. Right. Are you committed? Ready? All right. You know that, that was? You've heard it here first on the Trek Geeks podcast, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast Episode network. 180. Next, next year, STLV 2020, for, uh, during Voyager 25, uh, we will be pack lids on the side. We should be the weird looking aliens uh, from the doctor. Oh, you haven't gotten there yet. I don't want you to, I don't want to tell you. Never mind. Uh, but pack lids, we can do those, that too. Yeah. But pack lids. All, All right. right. Yeah. <laughs> See, I can sound like him too. That's like Peter Griffinish. <laughs> you should. You be the only Arnold sounding Packlet there. Yeah, I, I'm smart. I make things go. <laughs> yeah, we want more. <laughs> <laughs> Jody is smart. <laughs> I'm gonna cough again. <laughs> That's the best. An awful part. Metcon today, so I'm coughing up a storm. Uh, my wife said it was pretty it brutal. Was brutal. She. She normally loves Metcon. Oh, I did not appreciate this at all. Yeah, it wasn't great, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. So I did. I'm and you're a better man uh, for it. I appreciate that. I don't feel too good. Well, you know what? Sometimes the hardest decision is just going to the gym that day. That should be it. It's not, it's not doing the things. It's actually walking through the door. Sometimes that's the hardest workout. You that have. could be like a country song. That title could be like the title, what you just said. So sometimes the hardest part. Doing a workout. I hate country music. I was going to say, this is coming from the guy who does not listen to country music. No, I'm not a country music fan. I'm sorry for all those fans out there. I appreciate it, and and I'm glad that you love it. I just have no desire to ever listen to it ever. (laughs) I'd rather watch Star Trek. You know, know Brad Paisley's a big Star Trek fan. As he should be. Yeah, he's he's smart. He makes things. Is he a country singer? He is. He is. He's a a very... Yeah, 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 Eric Church. See, I've seen Eric Church. My wife is a big fan. Steven Tyler did a country album, I think, once. It's terrible. Uh, Well, okay. And I'm not a huge country fan. I like music of all kinds, but um, Steven Tyler's album is, as you might imagine, not great. Uh, You know, if you like it a little bit, that's good. That means you're a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll. So you're telling me in Vegas you want to go see Donnie and Marie <laughs> on their farewell tour? <laughs> no, I saw enough of them during the '70s, back when they were, you know, relevant. 
<laughs> every Friday night yes. on ABC. Uh, uh, purple socks, baby. <laughs> I used to have purple socks because of I Donnie Osmond. still do somewhere. But not because of Donnie <laughs> Osmond. Just because purple. Oh, well, I was just going to go really dark, but this is Trek Geeks. And we <laughs> that. So I'll ask you tomorrow at work. Are you ready to do this? I am this? ready. Let's do it. This is going to be a fun one. I can talk like a whale. <laughs> as, a, as opposed to just looking like wow. a wow. Okay. Are you ready? Not, not now. <laughs> yes, yeah, sure. Why not? All right. All right. <laughs>